Hi, I'm Kelly Cervantes, and this is Seizing Life, a bi-weekly podcast produced by Cure Epilepsy. Today, I'm happy to welcome Monica Diaz-Greco to the podcast. Monica's daughter, Emma, was diagnosed with infantile spasms in 2014. Following a course of treatment, Emma's spasms went away. However, after a couple of years of seizure freedom, a new type of seizure appeared, sending Emma on a new treatment journey that included numerous medications, a VNS implant, and ultimately surgery. Monica is here today to talk about infantile spasms and share her family's journey. Monica, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, To start things off, can you tell us when you first became concerned about your daughter, Emma, and what it was that you saw that concerned you? So we we had first noticed Emma doing this little weird motion that kind of resembled the startle reflex probably when she was about four months old. At first, we thought it was exactly that. We thought it was the startle reflex. Um, I had mentioned it to my husband. You know, have you, did you notice Emma's doing this funny little, little motion? And he had said, yeah, I recorded it. One day we'll show her and we'll laugh about it. But we didn't really think much of it. She didn't do it all the time. It was maybe um, usually a cluster of three every two, three weeks. Um, when she was seven months old, um, we were waking up from a nap and she did the motion again. And for some reason, it just didn't sit well with me, like something felt off. And so I Googled this really long, convoluted sentence. Baby does this weird motion, hands go to the side, look startled. And it eventually led me to um, a YouTube video that a mom had posted of her child doing something very similar. And in the description, it read, um, if your child does anything like this, rush them to the nearest emergency hospital, like uh, emergency department. And I freaked out. (laughs) Um, I called my husband at work and I said, I'm taking her. Uh, The hospital in Toronto is the hospital for sick children. And I said, I'm going to take her there right now. And he had told me, no, you know, call the pediatrician. Um, They might, you'll be able to be seen faster there. And so I called the, the, the pediatrician and uh, I spoke to the secretary and um, the secretary had said, well, the pediatrician's not in, but his daughter is taking over his practice for today. And she's an emergency room doctor at SickKids. So why don't you just bring her here? Um, you know, you'll be seen a lot faster. And so I did. And um, she examined Emma. And so she had asked for a video and There's where that video that my husband had taken so many months before had come in handy. But I was about to text my husband asking him to send it to me when he walked in. So um, he had sensed the panic in my voice and he left work and he met me at the pediatrician office. And we showed um, her the video and she called sick kids and she booked us for the next available EEG. We didn't have have to go down to the hospital. And within less than 48 hours, Emma had her EEG and her diagnosis. That is um, some incredible mama bear parenting right there. I will say your story is the perfect example of that. It is seeing something and questioning it. And that may be the 
intuitive piece, but then you, it's the action, it's the research and, and walking in prepared with the video. I, I mean, that is everything when it comes to getting that quick IS diagnosis, which we both know is, is integral in, in getting care. So you get this IS diagnosis, you had done some research clearly to get to that place to fight for that. But what did you know about IS or epilepsy? Did you even know that IS was epilepsy? No, I didn't know that. But um, I had Googled the heck out of infantile spasms. And so I knew a lot going in. But I didn't know. Or maybe I did. There was so much information coming at me at the time. Like all of that really stuck with me is like keywords like developmental regression. Some children don't talk. Some children don't walk. Like um, learning would be difficult. High chance of autism, underlying condition. Like all, it was more key phrases that stuck with me and they were all jumbled in my mind. It's an overwhelming diagnosis. Like with all forms of epilepsy, there is, it's a spectrum, right? As to how greatly it can affect our children. What was the course of treatment that the doctors recommended and did it work? So yeah, they had, um, right away, they had told us it was, um, they were going to prescribe Vigabitrin Sapril, um, to control her seizures. So she started her medication that same day. It was October 9th, 2014. Um, and the next day, the 10th, was the last time we saw her uh, have the spasms. So when she had a follow-up EEG two weeks later, um, the hypsarrhythmia was pretty much gone. Um, but they continued the medication for six months, and then they eventually weaned her off of it. So it worked right away. She was very lucky. That's incredible. Incredible. So you saw both, um, so an infantile spasms diagnosis, there's sort of two aspects to it, right? The, there's the hips arrhythmia, which is this bizarre brainwave pattern that they see in the EEG. And then there's the, the visible spasms that, Correct. Yeah. that you can witness. So the, the vigabitrin uh, knocked out both of those. Correct. Yes. That's incredible. What did um, Emma's life look like so she's on Vigabitrin for six months, and I'm sure it came with all of the usual side effects. It's not, yes, you get rid of the hypsarrhythmia and the spasms, but it's it's no joyride. No, it um, what, what did that, those six months look like? And what did Emma's life, life look like once she came off of the medication? Because they're pretty aggressive with the dosage of the Vigabitrin, it goes up pretty quickly. Um, she did have insomnia. Uh, she was she would cry a lot, uh, inconsolable during the night. The only way I could get her to sleep was driving around. So I'd be driving around at three o'clock in the morning trying to get her to sleep. I was still on mat leave. Um, it's an, a year in, in Canada. And um, my husband had to work, so he wanted to help, but he needed to sleep because he needed to be at work the next day. So it really was me driving through the city, trying to get her to calm down, try to get her to sleep. But the whole time I'd be crying. All I could think about was I need to calm her down. Um, so she had poor muscle tone and um, I had asked for <laughs> speech therapy and um, uh, OT. Uh, before she was even a year old and um, well clearly they said let's wait for the speech therapy um, but um, they did give her OT and PT and which she was eventually um, uh, discharged from that when she learned how to walk. I wouldn't say there was a regression in her development 
it just sort of kind of stalled a little bit or it was slower. And then the crying and the insomnia was definitely um, a difficult part of it because I couldn't do anything except drive around to make her feel better. But that did pass. You got through it and the infantile spasms uh, went away. And uh, what was her life like after those six months? Did you start to see her making progress and developing? Yes and no. So the speech was always something that was a little delayed. And we were told that a lot of IS babies have uh, speech delays. Uh, that was a little bit difficult. Uh, she was a late walker. So she started walking at about uh, 16 months. Um, but I thought the worst was over. Like she looked great. Um, she didn't lose her peripheral vision, which was one of the side effects of prolonged use with vigabatrin. And so I thought it was over. Like I thought, okay, we might have to a little, a couple of hiccups with uh, her learning and I'll get her the support that she needs, but it's done. Like in my mind, I thought it was over. But it wasn't. It definitely was not. <laughs> and unfortunately, um, this is all too common. Once a child has had one type of seizure, regardless of whether it's infantile spasms or another kind of pediatric epilepsy, um, they're at higher risk for the seizures of an entirely different type to return. And it sounds like that was the case with Emma, unfortunately. When did you first start seeing seizures again? And what did they look like? So um, it was July of 2017, so it was about two years later. Um, and I noticed that it was a very slight head nod and her eyes would slightly close, but it was so subtle that, and it was they weren't very long, that by the time I would sit, tell my husband or anyone who was with me, look, she did it again, they would look, she wasn't doing it anymore. And how old was she at this time? Um, so she would have been two, uh, three, three. Years three. So it had been about, you know, two, two and a half years since yeah. she had had yeah. infantile spasms. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was, I was so sure and, um, that I saw something and she was still being monitored by, uh, the neurology team at, uh, sick kids hospital. So I had mentioned it and they scheduled her for, um, you know, epilepsy monitoring unit to see her for a couple of days. So it was September of 2017. So she had, um, she had these epileptic spikes in her brain pattern. And that was the beginning of a very difficult couple of years. Hi, this is Brandon from Cure Epilepsy. Did you know that one in 26 Americans will develop epilepsy in their lifetime? For more than 20 years, Cure Epilepsy has funded cutting edge patient-focused research. Learn more about our mission to end epilepsy at cureepilepsy.org. Now back to Seizing Life. So I understand that when the seizures returned, um, that it was not quite as easy to gain control of the seizures this time around. What were you told in terms of diagnosis and what were the treatments like that um that you went through well emma's seizures were unclassifiable so um 
you know, here's another thing that she's different from everybody else. Um, also through the years, she had so many tests uh, trying to figure out why the reason for her IS and we've never found out why. And so there was a lot of unknowns. I couldn't even tell you which was the first medication she was on because it seems like she's been on absolutely everything that was possible to give children. And it's, um, as you know, it's a cocktail of medication. So I felt like there was two years of adding something, taking something away, uh, adding a little bit more. Let's try this. Let's try that. And there were so many. And there was a honeymoon period that we would see with everyone of the medications. And we thought, okay, this is it. But then they, the seizures would come back and the seizures would change. Um, I don't know if it was a result of the medication or if it was because she was growing at the same time. So sometimes she, she would freeze in place. Uh, she, she did have a lot of cluster in the morning, just in the morning when she would wake up. Um, head nods, her eye would, uh, eyes would appear closed. Then uh, there was a time when she was losing bladder control. But, you know, we were des desperate. And I think that's the best way to describe it. Like, we would have tried anything. And so at one point, they had recommended the keto diet, which is very different than the keto diet that everybody talks about. Medical keto diet is very strict. You know, I remember at the beginning, Emma would have applesauce and there'd be MCT oil like floating at the top. And by the end of uh, her time on keto, because the, the, uh, the diet was getting more strict and more strict, it was literally applesauce floating in MCT oil. It was not appetizing and Emma started to fight us on it. Uh, we also tried CBD two different times uh, with two different specialists. Um, we even went back to Vigabitrin because it had worked once. So um, maybe it'll work again. But that one was hard for me because I was so afraid that she would lose her, her peripheral vision. But, um, you know, we, we were trying to weigh, outweigh the consequences. Like, what's better? We'd rather stop these seizures. And, and that became a priority. Um, so, yeah, we tried everything. I feel like we've tried everything. And what was Emma's development and personality like during this time? It got gradually worse, but she appeared to be in a constant fog. There was not, not much learning happening, I, I, I would say, because she did not appear like she was completely with it. Um, we did continue with speech therapy and the other therapies, but um, we weren't seeing a lot of progress. Learning was exceptionally slow. When she wasn't having her seizures or when she was out of that episode, she did smile a lot. And we always remarked like, geez, this child is so strong. Like she smiles through everything. Um, you know, she's stronger than she needs to be. Um, but like the best way to describe it is she was in a fog. Like she would go to school and I think she was zoned out the entire time. And it's so hard to know, is that from the side effect from the medications? Is that from yeah. the seizures? You know, what, yeah. what is going on there? And that balance and trying to understand it is just so frustrating. And it's so difficult, I think, especially for us caregivers and parents when you just want to connect with them and have them be able to connect with you. Now, I know that Emma is doing significantly better now. What was the turning point and what, what helped? 
Um, so first we tried um, the vagus nerve stimulator and she was the first person in Canada to receive the new Centiva model, which had been around in the United States for a while, but um, it, in 2019, it was uh, finally released for use in Canada. And so she was the first person. Again, we saw a little bit of a honeymoon period. Um, we did notice she was slightly more alert and, and we know that it helps with cognitive abilities with a prolonged use of it. So even though the seizures came back, um, we still felt that that was beneficial to her. But I would say as we started 2021, the seizures were really bad um, and she started to fall. And when she started falling, um, then she had to wear a helmet and um it was at that point that her how old was she at this point she was seven. Oh no sorry six turning seven yeah so she's wearing a helmet um had to be within someone at all times because she could fall at any moment and um, at that point her neurology team at sick kids recommended a corpus callosotomy and explain what that is so um Basically, um, it's severing the nerves that are connecting the two hemispheres of the brain. So the nerves allow information to travel from one side to the other, but it also, um, also seizures can pass from one side to another. So because she was falling and they were never able to fully uh, detect where, what side her seizures were originating from, um, but they know that it would over to both hemispheres and cause her to fall, they thought by severing that, then it would stop the drop seizures. So when they told us about the surgery, I can't say it was easy, but we trusted our team and we trusted her doctor. And so we didn't really require a lot of time to think about it. It was, yeah, if you think this is what she needs, we'll do it. You speak to something, you know, there is, there is this desperation and it is, I want to go back and just highlight what you said about there being, you know, there's so much pressure. I think that it is meant to be an empowering sentiment when medical professionals tell a parent that they know their child best and it can be empowering and they're not wrong. However, the weight that comes with that we are not medical professionals. We didn't go to school, although I'd love to say that I have a PhD in Adelaide. You know, it is, it is, it's a lot. It's a lot of pressure to put on families to make a decision like irreparable brain surgery. But you went forward with it. She had the surgery. And what was the result? First of all, the surgery itself was a terrible experience. And it happened during COVID, which added to the stress because only one parent was allowed in the hospital at a time. There were good parts about the surgery itself. It took less time than anticipated. She didn't require a blood transfusion. You know, doctor said everything went well. Shortly thereafter, she developed a fever and then they had to figure out the cause of the fever. And then um, she was throwing up a lot. She was crying quite a bit. Um, when she, after a week at Sick Kids, she was transferred to a rehabilitation hospital and she kept having these crying episodes and she would throw up. And I mentioned to the neurologist at the rehabilitation hospital, I said, I think this is a seizure. I think this is related to some type of seizure. And 
it it was confirmed that it was a type of seizure. It, it manifested in a way that nobody had anticipated. So she would cry, get very upset, throw up, and then the episode was over. So her surgery was June the 28th, August 3rd, we went back to see kids for another EMU. And that morning, she woke up, cried, threw up. We get to the hospital, hook her up. Not only does she not have a seizure while we're there, but she never had one again, uh, that type of seizure. So August 3rd was the last time she woke up. Well, she had that episode where she would, you know, cry and throw up. And then she went nine and a half months seizure freedom. Wow. So it was as if her brain just, or the seizures or whatever, just needed to catch up with the surgery or the surgery, the combination of the surgery with the Vianette. Regardless, I am thrilled that, um, that she experienced nine and a half months of seizure freedom. That's incredible. I, I mean, that must have been amazing. It was, uh, you know, a hopeful optimism with a little bit of fear. <laughs> you know, you're always watching. Cautious. You know, you're, 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 yeah, you're cautious, um, and you're always afraid to say, "Oh, she had hasn't had a seizure for this amount of time," because you feel like you're jinxing it. Um, but when we went back to the rehabilitation hospital after that visit to sick kids, everybody was saying, "What happened? Like, she's a completely different child." And she was, she was more alert. She started to ride a scooter. She started to ride a bike. She actually left me because before she was, she would not leave me. I had to travel everywhere to, to go to the programs, to participate in all the activities. It was, I was able to sleep again after months. It was just amazing. Like she, she started to really take off at that point. That's amazing for both of you on so many levels. Now we know that her seizures did come back. Can you share with us what they look like now, how frequently she's had them and, and what, um, if anything you're doing to treat them? So May 22nd, 2022, the seizures returned. Yeah, it was a tough day. Um, but we, it, it was like head nods again. Um, however, um, we used the VNS device and it, uh, the magnet and it stopped it. And so they adjusted her settings after that day and she doesn't have seizures all the time. I, we, we sometimes go a month without seizures, maybe three weeks at worst. And she'll have She'll start doing that little head nod again. It kind of looks like a um, what it always did, but then we swipe her with the VNS device and it stops. So we've been able to, um, it, it's the VNS device in combination with the corpse callosotomy that seems to have worked really well. Now she's still on medications. Um, they're going to wait a little bit longer before they start weeding her off. And to be honest, like she's doing so well that I'm afraid. I don't, I don't want to. I, like I, I ultimately want to her to be off the medication, but I'm afraid to, but um, yeah, a lot better. She was going from a hundred seizures a day prior to the surgery to maybe three a month. Clearly you never want her to have another seizure again. Yes. However, 
in the grand scheme of things, you know, this is a pretty remarkable outcome. Um, She has epilepsy. So that's the way I've been phrasing it. You know, ideally, we don't want her to have seizures. But the reality is she has epilepsy. And epilepsy is, is it, you see it through seizures and it's better than it was before. And we have to be thankful for that. But we also have to accept that she has epilepsy. So how how is Emma doing today, socially, developmentally, educationally? Tell us about her. She's a little rascal. <laughs> <laughs> she is. She's a lot more alert, you know, even at the school, the, uh, the principal had said, you know, um, she's a different child. And, and we see that. Now, I'm not going to lie and say that the learning is completely where it should be. She's back on par. It isn't. She has a lot, you know, she's missed out on a lot. Epilepsy has robbed her of a lot of experiences, a lot of her childhood, a lot of her learning, you know, and she had brain surgery last, last year. Let's give her time to, to um, you know one step at a time, learn things and get to where she needs to be, to where she needs to be, you know, and that might not be where other children her age are going to be, but where she needs to be. And so, you know, I'm happy. She went skating six months to the day of her surgery and we were thrilled. You know, um, it was the, we went on vacation. It was the first time that we felt comfortable enough getting on a plane and, um, you know, because we always worried how to share the seizure on the plane, how long of a flight. And, you know, we took a lot of things into consideration when we chose our destination. But, you know, we um, sh- she's living and she's happy. She's happy and she's teasing her sister. And, uh, you know, she's playing with her friends and still speech delay still goes to uh, speech therapy, OT, PT. I'm trying to get her a tutor. She's on an IEP in school. But, you know, Emma is who she's going to be, and she's been through a lot. You know, I always say I have a, when I have a headache, I can't do anything. I can't imagine having surgery and being able to uh, do what she does. And having a disability or requiring uh, services for delays does not make her less Emma or um, less amazing. Now, talk to us about, because... You didn't just stop at advocating and being a mama bear for your own child. You have gone out and are fighting and trying to educate for other families and children as well. Tell us about Emma Is. Yeah, and I'm glad that you used the word fight because sometimes I feel like it is a fight. Like I'm fighting a lot. Um, and it's not always like a bad fight, but it's just like this advocacy, this this new role that I have. Um, in Canada, there aren't a lot of support groups or really any that we were able to find for IS. We know there are some in the United States and in the UK, there seems to be a lot of groups. But in Canada, we found one Facebook group and they're great and a great source of support. And I've made friends with a lot of the members. But in terms of a place where we felt like this is for us information, we we didn't have that. And so on Purple Day of um, 2018, we founded um, Emma Is. And... Um, IS is the abbreviation for infantile spasms. Our tagline is Emma is who Emma is. What we wanted to do was bring awareness about what IS is because 
people don't know. We didn't know. Um, um, we didn't know how serious it is. Um, and uh, so we started off with just like creating social media presence. And then as Emma developed epilepsy, then we moved into epilepsy awareness as well. So uh, some, we are now a nonprofit in a nonprofit organization in Canada. So that was a recent development. We presented a delegation to the board of trustees for the Toronto Catholic District School Board. Um, both my children are students for, at the Toronto Catholic District School Board to get Purple Day officially recognized as a day that everybody would know about and celebrate. And so that passed. So we were able to do that. Um, and last year I wrote, um, I'm an educator, I'm a teacher. I wrote uh, lesson plans for grades K to 12 um, that uh, teachers could implement in their classroom on Purple Day, explaining what epilepsy is, um, what is, what are some first aid treatments. I have to tell you that like a couple weeks ago, I met a child in grade three and first he had said, oh, I know Emma. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. Emma has epilepsy. And I'm like, yes, she does. And he's like, I know what epilepsy is. It's when something happens in your brain. And I think it's called a seizure. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. It is called a seizure. And then I'm like, what would you do if you saw someone having a seizure? And he said, well, I wouldn't put anything in their mouth. I would make sure that they're safe and I would call an adult. And literally, I wanted to cry because he had said that his teacher had used the lesson and um, he had learned about epilepsy. And I that was one moment where I was like, you're making yeah. a difference. Yeah. You're making a difference, mama. I mean, that's, that's amazing. I and mean, we talk about so much, it's, it's, it's education and awareness and that, that helps fight stigma. It helps keep people with epilepsy safe. It has such an incredible impact. And, um, that's really amazing. I love that so much. Monica, thank you so very much for sharing your experience, for sharing Emma's story, and for all of the education, advocacy, and awareness that you are doing for our community. It means so much to all of us. I know it means so much to me personally as well. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to you. Um, you were one of the first people we started following when our daughter was diagnosed with IS in your source of inspiration for us and we always look to you. So thank you to you. This is a complete honor for me to be speaking to you today. Thank you, Monica, for sharing your family's story with us and for turning your experiences into an organization that raises awareness and funds for IS research and offers support to families coping with an IS diagnosis. Cure Epilepsy has been at the forefront of infantile spasms research, launching its infantile spasms initiative in 2013 with $4 million in funding. IS continues to be a major area of focus for Cure Epilepsy, with a recent discovery of a promising new treatment for infantile spasms. If you would like to help support our search for a cure for IS, please visit cureepilepsy.org forward slash donate. Through research, there is hope. Thank you. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Cure Epilepsy.
The information contained herein is provided for general information only and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. Cure Epilepsy strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical conditions be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation.